Welcome back to Patriot to the Core podcast. I am Thad Forrester. Thank you for tuning again to this episode. Uh, today's guest is Mr. George Lutz. He created Honor and Remember after his son Tony was killed in action back in 2005. Uh, George had the military personnel show up at his door and unlock, I mean, just like many others in our country, have opened the door to see that scene and to hear these five unforgettable words we regret to inform you and then you can kind of imagine where it went from there uh he's on a he was on a mission since then to make sure that his son was not forgotten and not only his son but all the others who have paid the ultimate price of freedom for all of us so he created a flag and he's on a mission to get legislation in all 50 states to recognize the flag as a national symbol of remembrance and so we talk about that flag and the symbolism behind it. And I'll, I won't, I'll keep this short and sweet. We can kind of get into and talk to George now and all the great things that he's doing. Thanks for having me, Tag. I think you seem like you're a pretty busy man. Have you been, uh, are you still traveling all over the country now in, in short periods of time promoting the your organization or what's going on with you these days? Well, uh, I seem to be on the road much more than, than not. But, um, you know, our mission really is to have the honor and remember flag recognized nationally, you know, as a public symbol of remembrance. And, you know, unfortunately, the visuals are very important to most people. So taking the flag and, and having an opportunity to speak and you know, share the share the vision is very important. But even uh, more important than that is, reaching out to the Gold Star families, the families who have lost their loved ones, and, and meeting them face-to-face and, and appreciating them and, and letting them know that they haven't been forgotten, that they haven't been forgotten as well as that their loved ones have not been forgotten. And so the opportunity to present flags to them is just enormous and, you know, such a, a worthwhile thing to do for, for me and, and I guess... I have to say, for my healing as well, is to, you know, just to make a difference, you know, in in some small way. And so traveling, you know, is a part of that, and and, and meeting these families and and having that opportunity to to say personally and as an organization, you know, thank you. Well, and before we talk more about honor and remember, I I'd like you just to explain the background and talk about your son tony is it tony does he go by that we call him tony yes sir i'd love for you to talk about tony and and his military service and, and you know why he joined and then you know and, and we know he was killed in in iraq and just how what happened after that with you sure 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 well you know my son was uh you know just a typical kid and you know fun loving gregarious uh loved people Loved to engage people and make people feel good. Um, I hear very similar stories from so many families out there that, you know, it seems like a lot of our kids are cut from the same mold. But um, he had a kind of a marketing sales brain. He loved to, to just, as I say, talk to people. And through that talking, he was kind of a natural salesperson. You know, um, people trusted him. Interesting thing is he went to college to to learn uh, physical therapy because he was a runner. He he did a lot of cross country running through high school and college, and he uh, because of that there was a lot of physical activity. So he thought maybe physical therapy might be his thing. And so he went to college to start to learn physical therapy, and kind of halfway through he decided that that really he want he wanted to be more of a, a an open people person. And he didn't feel like college was really going to teach him anything that he didn't know about engagement. So he decided that he'd quit college and just, he said, rather than having to pay all this money back, I could be out making money. And so he came home from college after a couple of years and just started selling. Uh, he started selling everything he could. He sold vacuum cleaners. He started to sell cars. He, he got his real estate license. He wanted to sell houses. And he just was 
just very interested in that that whole area and he got married and you know had a child and you know one day he came to me and you know he was looking for a change he was always growing and looking for a new opportunity and one day he came to me i mean he was he was already on his own and uh, you know he was, he was 23 by that time and he said dad i've joined the army he didn't he didn't come to me and ask my advice or ask my opinion he just he just said well i joined the army dad and i leave for boot camp on saturday and uh, you know i thought that was very interesting but you know as a parent one thing we want to do is we want to raise up our kids to make their own decisions you know to be productive members of society and contribute in whatever way form or fashion you know, that that suits them and so i was proud that he joined the service and you know glad that he had made that decision and certainly told him i would pray for him and, and encourage him but the only advice i could give him was keep his head down you know um, you know because we he he very well knew that there was a war going on and so that's what he did he joined the army went uh, you know, went through basic training, went through advanced training, and and the interesting job function that he decided to pick was uh, an area called psychological operations. Well, psychological operations is pretty much the marketing arm of the army. You know, so it's dealing you know with the emotional or the you know the the, the psych psychological areas of of the enemy and you know what they do is they analyze and they try to diffuse and you know get into them i think them their uh, slogan was win the mind win the day and so that's what he did and he absolutely loved it you know, it was something that was really important to him and and only a small percentage of even the population of recruits go into or are able to go into psychological operations you've got to have you know the right set of mentality and and all of what that takes is that what he wanted to do when he went into the army did he, he know did okay. as a matter of fact that was the only job he wanted and sir and that was the one he got so uh, it was pretty interesting and it was something he was very good at and although he did it for only a short time he relished at the fact that because one thing about psyops is that they're most of the time not even assigned to the army that you know that he's in they're actually assigned to mostly to the marines and so they're kind of a, a advisory team you know to the to a marine unit and one of the things that he loved to do or or loved about it was that he was just a private when he went in but he was actually advising colonels and generals because they had they knew that this team had their specialty so one one day he was with the marine unit in outside of Fallujah and they had actually stopped at one of these small towns on their way back to base to check on some what I've been told is some graffiti that had been written on the walls in a town and they didn't like anything left on the walls because you know it was propaganda and most of it was against the US and and so they would stop and check it out and try to find out how it got there and what it said and try to remove it if they could. And so he was with that group that had stopped and he was up in the uh, turret of a Humvee protecting the group, you know, kind of standing watch while everyone was on the ground. And he was uh, shot by a sniper uh, through the heart. One shot, uh, unfortunately, it was probably that sniper's best shot of the day. And, uh, and he was pretty much killed. Not instantly, but very soon after that. Uh, he had just been deployed for six weeks. You know, it was the first deployment mm. overseas. And uh, you know that uh, he didn't come home. Yeah. Well, so do you mind talking about the notification process? So, you know, I've had, I've talked about it a little bit and with our family and with me, and then I've, I've had Gold Star parents on here before, but do you mind sharing uh, well, it was, what that's uh, like as a parent? Well, uh, no, I don't. I don't mind sharing it. I mean, this was early in or late in '05, pretty early on in the you know in the Iraq conflict, and uh, a lot of things weren't being were being done are being done different now than they were then. But it was early in the morning. I was uh, on my way. Actually, I was taking a morning walk before going to work, and I'd come in the back door. And actually, as as I was coming in, I saw a van out in the driveway and just out of curiosity was you know going okay what's a van doing this early in the morning you know, at the house so i went in the back door and my mother had just been opening the front door as i walked in and and there stood two uniformed army officers and they had pretty somber faces i uh 
I pretty much got a feeling that they were here to tell me something I didn't want to hear. And I called for my wife, uh, you know, to come down before they said anything. And I was hoping, and I'm sure that this is every parent's comment, that maybe he was just wounded, you know, or maybe they had the wrong house. So, of course, you know, that wasn't the case. And, and they proceeded to, uh, you know, tell me those five very simple words, we regret to inform you. He had been, he was married, you know, as I said earlier, and <clears throat> he had been killed the night before or the day before. Because he was married, they had to find his his wife first. That took some time because she was on vacation. The notification to us, you know, had come, you know, a little bit later. And, you know, those are the words that no parent with a loved one in the military wants to hear, as you know. And it's the most devastating place to be as a parent. And it's not something you want to believe. So, you know, from there, you just start the grieving process and you don't really know what to do. What do you do next? You've got to start calling people. The pain continues. <laughs> and then you've got to wait. You've got to wait for the body to be returned to the U.S. Um, did you have to deal, did the Patriot Guard riders attend the services? Yeah, again, we we uh, we had to go through the process being kind of the second second tier because everything went through the wife. At that time, there was no Dover opportunity, so no one went to Dover. Dover was not open to any of the family members. That, I don't think, happened until 08. Yeah, we had to wait for the body, decide on formulating a service, uh, what was going to happen in Arlington. I mean, he had some very specific notes you know, about what to do, what his wishes would be. But you mentioned the Patriot Guard. Tony was actually the first mission for the Patriot Guard in Virginia. So, hmm. yes, they did... Uh, call us and ask if they could be a part of it and uh, I didn't really know much about it but certainly wanted Tony's you know death to be remembered by as many people as possible so what about for gold star families and I've heard you talk about this what are what's most important to them one of the things that I did in my healing was to reach out to others it was something that I guess I wanted to. Know, I wanted other people to know I was going through it as well. And I mean, I say others. I mean other family members, you know, whose loved ones had been killed. And not only that, but I started to attend funerals of those who had died after Tony. And I live in a military town, and unfortunately, there were have been a lot of military deaths. I began to attend these funerals to just let family members know hey, I, I'm going through it too. You know, my journey may have started a little bit earlier than yours, but I'm right there with you, and if you need someone to talk to, here's my number. So that, that kind of began my, my journey through what, not knowing what to do and how to handle it. You know, you mentioned what Gold Star families go through and what they think. Well, you know, what I began to realize over the course of time, and this was quite a while in time, I mean, a year going on two years, that the two most important things a family member who has lost a loved one this way means to them is that their loved one not have died in vain and that they not be forgotten. And that was really the only cry that I could tell that was meaningful because really the only thing a family wants is to have their loved one come back home. And knowing that that can't happen, they want to be sure that somebody gives a damn, that that sacrifice wasn't for nothing, and that they continue to be remembered. And a lot of the corroboration of that that I find comes from the fact that people glom on to tragedy fairly quickly, but then they leave almost as quickly as they gathered. You know, look at 9-11, for instance, and I, I use this example, is that after 9-11 happened, this country went super patriotic. You could not find an American flag anywhere to buy in this country because everybody was sold out. And the manufacturers, that I found out later, couldn't even make any more flags because they couldn't get the fabric fast enough. And so... 
we were all flying American flags. I mean, in every size, shape, and manner. But three months later, six months later, it didn't even take a year. The only people that were flying American flags were the same people that were flying them before 9-11. We all went back to our worlds and to our lives, you know, going about our business because it didn't directly affect us. And the same thing has happened that I've seen to families that families of our fallen military is that we gather around them quickly. And the same thing is going to happen with this Mississippi tragedy. We're going to gather around these families quickly. We're going to glom on them for a few days, for a month, until all the funerals are done and all the news stories are out there. And then they're going to soon be forgotten. And the families are going to lose some of their friends, even some of their relatives, because after a fashion, everyone's going to want to know why they haven't moved on. Oh, it's been, you know, a year. It's been five years. It's been ten years. You know, haven't you gotten over that yet? Mm-hmm. And it's inevitable. And, you know, people will say, oh, no, no, it won't happen. But it happens. It continues to happen. And so I wanted to know when my son was killed that America cared. And I wanted to find out what ways that they cared. Because I already understood the falling away part. In looking and researching and trying to figure out how America cared, the only thing I could find that was related to the fallen, and I'm not talking about monuments. I mean, there's monuments here and there all over this country. Monuments are wonderful, you know, but very few people get to see monuments. They don't go to see monuments as a tourist attraction, unless they're in Washington, D.C. Other times they may come upon them, but they don't go to monuments that regularly. So I wasn't talking about or thinking about a monument. I was thinking about ways that America remembered publicly. And the only thing I could find, was the day set aside to remember our fallen, which we call Memorial Day. Now, Memorial Day, you've got to know this, Thad. Memorial Day has become a watered-down holiday that really most Americans don't take seriously. And I didn't realize that until Memorial Day hit and I had lost my son. Because, you know, you don't need Memorial Day to remember your brother. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Every day, in a sense, is Memorial Day. But it's not that way with the public. And so I found a survey a few years ago that that uh, gave a statistic that 80% of Americans do not know why Memorial Day exists. And that was probably about five years ago. Might even have been seven years ago. So at that time, if 80% of Americans didn't know why Memorial Day existed, then what did we really have as Americans to remember our fallen? Nothing. Because nobody's thinking about it. Outside of the group that lost that loved one yeah. and, the, and the friends who, who love them. There's nobody thinking about them. And so what do you have happening around this country? You have families who are creating their own memorials they're creating golf tournaments. They're doing runs. They're having whatever venues they can under their loved one's name. They're starting foundations, like you mentioned, to have their loved one not forgot. And why? And why? Because when you have something like that, you can then continue to call out their name, continue to have people remember them by name, and that is all being done by the mostly the family members themselves. In the contemporary place we are, and being in the same situation that, that I know I am with so many others, this is how I know that families don't want their loved one to be forgotten. And you will see foundations crop up from those that died in the Mississippi tragedy yeah right it's just going to happen it happened with extortion 17 you know it 
It happens every time a notary, notar, notar, uh, a seal of notoriety is killed. You know, there's, there's, it just happens. I took a different tact. My tact was, and not you'll you'll see me talk about my son, but not very often, if I can avoid it, because most of the time people don't know that I'm a gold star dad, because I want America to realize that men and women are losing their lives and they deserve to be appreciated. They deserve to be remembered and the families deserve to be appreciated. And in my search, I could find nothing globally that spoke that message. I'll take it, I'll take it from a different perspective and you'll understand this. Uh, when your brother died, how long ago was that? Six and a half years. She okay. almost seven years now. And were you living at home when it happened? No, but I was notified. I was okay. notified along with my parents simultaneously. Okay. Well, let me let me just take you to what happened afterwards, and not just the notification and all the burial, but people. And I talked about people glomming around the family. Your parents and maybe you started to receive gifts. They might have gotten a portrait. They might have gotten a quilt. Mm-hmm. They've got maybe hundreds of cards. Uh, you know, you could have gotten photographs, uh, poems. Uh, the list, I'm sure, is endless. Definitely. Right? Oh, yeah. So many things you didn't even know what to do with them because people didn't know how else to respond, right? They just want to give. They want to do something. And and that's nice. But there comes a point where some families just can't take it anymore. It's like every time they get something, it just reopens everything to them. And I kind of felt that way in a, in a sense. But I have a very strong faith in God. And God told me very early on, I mean within days of Tony's death, he said, be comforted because... Your son and my son are together with me in paradise. And that was a very strong and powerful word to me. And I began to focus not on myself, but on all those families that were yet to go through this and that were continuing to go through it. And what could I do? I I wanted to do something. I didn't want to get any more gifts. I wanted to give a gift, and I didn't know what that gift was or should be until I started to go to the funerals and realize those two things that I spoke about earlier. But the thing, the way that I reconcile with those, especially the first part of not having died in vain, and I can say this to any generation, whether they were volunteer or whether they were, they were, uh, you know, conscripted somehow. Uh, drafted, as long as the American flag flies freely above free soil, no loss will ever have been in vain. And that's the way that I feel. But the remembrance part is the one that's a little stickier because we do have short memories. And so as I was attending the funerals of these warriors, I would see flag lines and you mentioned the Patriot Guard and in those flag lines you'd see dozens of American flags every once in a while there'd be a POW flag in there and I was going to funeral after funeral and I will tell you I never went to the funeral of a POW and I was wondering to myself why is there a POW MIA flag flying at a funeral of someone who died in Iraq or Afghanistan I couldn't figure that out. And what came to me was the reason that flag was there was because it was the generation of that flag who was holding it. It was a Vietnam veteran. And that was the only representation of a military symbol that there really was. Besides the American flag, which they fought and died for, the only other really military flag besides the branch of service flag was the POW MIA flag, although it wasn't appropriate for that funeral. And what hit me was, you know what? That's what we need. 
to keep these families' memories alive. They need a flag. They need a tangible symbol that says to them, thank you. I haven't forgotten. I remember. I care. And that's what I began to look for, Thad. I began to look for a symbol that spoke those words. And that's where I came up short. And there were some flags out there that were one-offs, but there wasn't anything that I considered to be a national recognized symbol for those families. You know, your brother, my son, they're not coming back. They don't know how we're giving them tribute. They don't know how we're remembering them. You know, if you believe, as I do, they're kicking up their heels in heaven. But we're still here. Every one of these family members, uh, I have five children. My parents were living at the time. I mean, I had every category of family relationship you could think of. Mm -hmm. You know, he had his own children. You know, he had sisters and brothers. I mean, there was, there was a lot of family dynamics going on. They're still here. Every day they're thinking about him. And if you multiply that by the tens of thousands of loss, back, going back generations, there has been nothing in this country that speaks specifically to you and to them that when you see it, it says one thing, thank you. And so the Honor and Remember flag was born out of that process to be a publicly recognized symbol so that those 99% of the public out there who quickly forgot about 9-11, who quickly forgot about extortion 17, who quickly will forget about Mississippi, when they see this flag and they're educated about this flag, they know that it represents the lives lost that keeps our freedom what it is. And so my mission became to make this flag, the honor and remember flag, the most recognizable symbol in America. Because honestly, without that flag, the American flag doesn't fly. It can't fly. I met recently with Herschel Woody Williams. He's the oldest surviving Medal of Honor recipient from World War, well, from Iwo Jima. Iwo Jima the only living surviving Medal of Honor recipient. And he and I sat down and had breakfast one morning as I was sharing my vision with him. And I said, Woody, when I look at the statue of Iwo Jima and I see those men hoisting that American flag, I see them wrapped in an honor and remember flag because <clears throat> they were not hoisting that flag for America. They were hoisting that flag for the lives that they lost getting to the top of that mountain. And without the lives lost, they would not have been lifting that American flag. And he looked at me and said, you're exactly right. That's why this flag is so important. Let's just do a, a, a kind of a description of it because it's got some, the red and white on it. It's got the, the blue star overlaid with the gold star. It's got the flame. So do you mind just explaining... Not at all. Those, the, all the, the symbolism on it. Not at all. In, in, tr in coming up with the idea of, oh, we need a flag, okay, I mean, that was one thing. But then you've got to decide, well, what is it going to be? What does it look like? Uh, if you're going to design something that's going to become and be accepted and embraced as a national symbol, you know, you just can't throw something together you know, without some thought. And so I began to research military elements, um, you know, ideas that, you know, people use visually to, you know, when, when there is a loss, you know, what do we embrace or understand, uh, you know, to be important elements or symbolic elements or traditional elements. And so that began my, my process. And I started gathering together a folded flag, obviously, uh, gold star. You know that was a, a an acceptable military, uh, you know, um, symbol. Um, the colors, uh, those kinds of things. F Eternal flame, uh, flames of 
of remembrance. You know, what do we understand as just general public? Because I wanted to put something together that didn't need a lot of explanation, necessarily. Maybe just a little priming. And then what words, you know, the, would it have words or not? I mean, all of those things I started to pull together into, into what you will now see became the honor remember flag. I mean, even the words themselves, uh, I think just this was all God-inspired. So as we go through the explanation of symbolism, we have a red and white field. Mostly red field, two-thirds of the flag is red on the top side, and it is American flag red. It represents the blood shed by our men and women, by our military, to keep our freedoms. Uh, you know, it's American flag red. There, there's a, uh, a panel of white beneath the red, and that white represents the purity of their sacrifice and service. Because each one of our, I don't know the situation of your brother, but each one of our men, of our men and women uh, serve with a pure heart. They want to make a difference. They want to keep our freedoms. They want to protect their families. You know, they, yeah, they, they serve with a pure heart. They sign a blank check, right, that up to and including their very own lives. And so that white represents the purity of, that, of their service. The blue star, there's a blue star in the center. It goes all the way back to World War One, when a solid blue star was hung on the windows and doors of, of families who had their loved ones out in the fight. And there may have been one or two or three blue stars on a banner that represented those lives. They were solid blue. When that star was overlaid with a gold star, that meant that that life, that individual, was not coming home. Again, going back to World War One, that's where we get the term "gold star." Gold star mother was the initial uh, start of that, and we've now subsequently, you know, added fathers, siblings, families. Underneath those stars is a folded flag, and that flag is a representation of that which was taken off the casket, folded and handed to the family at the memorial of their loved one. Every single military service member comes that's buried comes with a folded flag. The flames above that flag represent that life that we will never forget. As a matter of fact, there's two different colors of flames. And if you take that single folded American flag, which is American flag blue, and you, which it represents a single life, there is one single blue flame that comes off of that folded flag, which represents that life joining those others that went before him. So one colored blue flame turns into the others which are red and beneath all of that are the words honor and remember we will honor their individual sacrifice and remember them individually by name and so that is the generic flag it is our hopes that this flag flies across America regularly but if nothing else you know during the month of May one thing in particular is that this flag has a unique design component well I should say it's got a design uh, piece that's missing and that is the ability the the fabric the that is open giving the flag the ability to be personalized and so as an organization, it is not just our hope that this flag flies across America, but that we are able, to, as an organization and individuals are also able to personalize this flag and give it to that family, not at a time, Thad, that is close to that point of death, 
and burial. But at a time when everything is faded, the family begins to wonder whether anybody does still remember. And sometimes, years later, we presented these flags. Now, of course, the flag didn't exist, but we presented this flag to generations of families going far back in our country's history. Uh, to those families who have come to have comments just like that. I didn't know anybody still would remember. Yeah. And the power of this flag in the presentation alone has become the heart of really why we do this. Because as we present a flag to a family and explain its meaning, they may not even know about the flag, and explain its individual meaning and purpose. And then they see that flag flying at their local VSO or at their church or on a city building. They begin to make the connection that somebody is still remembering. And that is the gift, as I turn full circle. The gift to these families, the greatest gift I can give them, is that the American public, whether they like it or not, whether they admit it or not, they are going to remember and send that statement to these families, if not directly, then indirectly. Well, you're doing a great job, a very effective job. We, we've got one of your awesome flags with my brother's name on it. And uh, we were we were invited to an event, and I believe it was at the, the Air Force Memorial in D.C. And it was for, I believe it was just AFSOC um, deaths since 9-11. I believe my dad, we, we did not attend. We weren't there for that. I wish we could have been. But we got the flag anyway and appreciates you and your organization doing that for us and, and so many others as you're doing across the country. Um, George, what's next for Honor and Remember? What's what's on the horizon or what big events or what, what would you like to update us on? <laughs> well, there's so much more to do with that. I mean, we have thousands of families yet to present to. We have nearly a thousand on a waiting list right now that we can't even get to because we lack the funds to do it. Also in the wings is having this country adopt this flag as their national symbol. Over the course of the last nine years now since we've been doing this, we have accomplished 23 state adoptions. So we have right? A few more states to go. Yep. 27 <laughs> more states to adopt the flag. So that is part of our mission to have those states adopt it. Because once they adopt it and make that statement in their state to those families, then they will begin flying it for those families. What does it mean to adopt it? Is it to fly it in May or full-time or, or when? Well, every state has different written legislation. For instance, the state of Arizona, when they adopted it, they adopted it to mandate it to fly whenever there was an Arizona casualty. So that is one um, idea. Uh, other states have adopted it to fly on special holidays. Uh, others have uh, adopted it to fly on Memorial Day. Others have just not not said when to fly it, but just adopted it as their state symbol. Uh, there's so many different ways that states have gone. My hope is that when it's adopted, it is adopted to fly on certain holidays. Uh, that's the way I would like to see it. But um, but it, it, it just doesn't matter. As long as they declare it to be their state symbol of remembrance, that's step one. Getting it to fly is, you know, another battle, if you will. But I would like to, let me give you another example. Whenever you see the flag, the American flag, flying at half-staff 
nowadays, most of the time, we as Americans don't know why. Right? Yep. I mean, you ask yourself, or whoever you're with, hey, I wonder why the American flag's at half-staff today. We do it all the time. It could be a, a politician. It could be a, a tragedy that happened, you know, like in Columbine or in Orlando. Uh, it could be a number of reasons why, but most Americans don't know why. I think that if the honorary member flag were on that pole, when that flag, the U.S. flag, were lowered to half staff, whenever there was a military casualty, then this entire nation would be called to the fact that an American hero lost their life. And so that would be my biggest win would be national adoption and flying half-staff, I mean flying whenever, but flying half-staff whenever there was a military casualty. Yeah. Well, George, and, uh, for sake of time, can we talk about the, I think it's called the Run for the Fallen? Oh, sure. So you mentioned what else we're doing and what else is ahead. So we've got the ongoing mission that continues to be ahead. But we have also dovetailed along with that. An event, if you will. It's not just an event because it's really a whole program. You use the word program. Called Run for the Fallen. And Run for the Fallen we have been doing now for about five years. It began about nine years ago uh, with a friend of mine who started the organization Run for the Fallen and ran across America uh, back in 08. He ran a mile for every fallen service member that died in a battle during the War on Terror up until that time he had lost his college roommate. And he and a small group ran across America planting flags one mile at a time for all those that had given their lives. And we became friends at that time and, and since then he has gone off into other endeavors and he and I spoke, his name is John Bologna, he and I spoke a few years back about honor and remember and run for the fallen coexisting uh, because we had similar missions. He was focused on the war on terror, but nonetheless, he was focusing on remembering out loud the names of each of those heroes. And a few years back, I said, John, we would like to embrace the Run for the Fallen mission and make it our own and continue it as often as we can in as many states as we can around this country so that loved ones know that their own have not been forgotten. And so over the past five years, in about four states now, and there's a number of them that we don't organize but are still under, under the name, under our name, in about five states, we have conducted state run for the fallens. And so we have identified all those that have died in that state and then identified a route, a certain distance. For instance, in Virginia, we run for four days, over 250 miles. And every mile, you know, and, and we run a, a certain pace, we run between eight and nine minute miles, and <laughs> there's a, a pace. there's a yeah, and there's a core group of runners. This isn't a fun run, so this is a core group of runners, marathon trained runners, and they're carrying full size flags. They're carrying the United States flag, the state flag that we're running in, the and the honor and remember flag, and a new flag that we may not get into. But we have recently established a new flag for fallen police and fire, and it's called the Honor and Sacrifice flag. And um, and I'm not going to talk about that now, but just know that we have both of these flags that honor those that selflessly uh, serve every day. And so as we're doing this run, one mile at a time, we are stopping and calling out loud the name of those heroes 
that we've we've placed at that marker. And often the family is at that marker waiting for us to hear their loved one's name. And so we run a mile, we stop, we call out their names, we plant a flag, we run another mile, and you get the idea that we're doing this mile after mile all day long. In Virginia, we do it, we run about 70 miles a day for three days, and then we run about 30-some miles on the last day. We run from Virginia Beach, from Virginia to Arlington National Cemetery, and then we have a final cemetery uh, ceremony in the cemetery you know, at the end of our fourth day. So we've been doing this in states now for five years. We've done about 14 of these just through our own organization. It is because it is coming up to the 10th anniversary of Honor and Remember. We began in 08 on Memorial Day. And also the 10th anniversary of the Run for the Fallen organization, which we have absorbed. And so we decided that for the second time, but for our kind of once-in-a-lifetime, we are going to run across America again. Only this time, we're going to expand it. Uh, John ran for all of those that died in conflict, and we're going to run for all those that served and died while they were serving. So it doesn't matter how they died. They could have even died by their own hand. If it was... PTSD related and it was connected to military service then their name will be on our run so we have identified together with the DOD we've been working with the some of the branches of service specifically the DOD we have identified at this point close to 19,000 names now we can't run a mile for every name like we were doing in the states because there are way too many names and we'd be running for a long, long time. So what we decided to do is what I think is more symbolic. We decided to run a mile for every day that there were deaths. And beginning with the USS Cole, October 12, 2000, we have then identified every single date of death after that to present day and if you go to run for the fallen website you will see that every mile is sequential in terms of date of death now that does a couple of things once one thing it does is it helps us organize an incredible feat by putting these names you know on the route but secondly it enables families who may not have known that others died on the same day as their loved one, a chance to identify one more time. That, I have found, means so much when a family can find a connection. And so families have begun to, if you go to the website, runforthefallen.org, there is a button that says, Find a Hero. And when you get a chance, that you should go and look for your brother and put in his date of death. Don't put in his name. And when you put in his date of death, you will find if there was anyone else that died on that day. There might have been those that died with him, yep. but there will be others potentially that died other places in the country or the world that you may not know. That is a part of that database. And once that pulls up, you'll be able to click on his name or any of those other names. And it will take you to where in the country we're going to be honoring him. And that is one of the most important things that we can do. That this is going to be the most comprehensive tribute ever put together. I don't think anyone has ever attempted with all the walks across America and the bike runs across America to literally call out loud one name at a time all the way across this country. Mm -hmm. And we need everybody involved.
because it involves every family that's lost someone because if the name is not on there you can put them on there so there's going to be circumstances where the DOD doesn't even have that death notice especially from PTSD related yeah and so we need every organization or individual connected with other gold star families to go send them to this website and have them look for their heroes and make sure that they're included and the enormity of what this means and the caravan of runners that are going to be accomplishing this is going to make I hope one of the biggest impacts of remembrance that we could possibly make yeah I'll say well We'll do our part here with, with Patriot to the Core and also with the Mark Forrester Foundation and uh, to promote and see if there's anything else we can do. And Is it runforthefallen.org? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, you and I, I think, yeah, we need to talk offline about that, but uh, it has been an honor to have you here today, sir, and really appreciate what you're doing to recognize our warriors and heroes who are serving and who have served. And uh, it's also remarkable to see what you've done to help. It's also just to help heal because of from the death of your son, uh, Tony. Uh, is there anything, anything in closing you'd like to share with us? Well, there's just so many ways that people can get involved. That I mean, just go to the website, and if they're a family member who's listening, a Gold Star family, and they haven't requested a flag, they can do that on our website, thehonorremember.org, and get a flag request in. Uh, anybody else can just fly a flag generically and make that statement of thanks to these families or if they want to help us reach out to other families as I mentioned uh, we've got a, a thousand families on the waiting list and someone could sponsor a flag for a family and get them off the waiting list I mean there's so many different ways to help if, if we're, we're the legislation hasn't been done in your state you could, you know, help launch that legislation. Um, there's so there's, there there are so many ways that uh, someone can get, can get involved. 